This is the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Blank, episode number 74. Let's do this. You're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your host, Michael Blanc. You know, when I talk about the law of the first deal, which says that if anyone does a multifamily deal of any size, they will have replaced their income in two to three years. When I talk about that and I say, look, it's with apartment buildings, people at first get very excited. And then they're like, oh gosh, yeah, apartment buildings. That's nice, Michael. But you know, it's kind of advanced strategy. And I'm going to get a few years under my belt with single family houses and I'm going to save up my money so I can afford to get into apartments where I really want to be. And this reaction is based on ignorance, really. It's based on uh, beliefs that people have about apartments, that they're advanced, that they need experience, and that they need a lot of money, none of which are true. And that's what I'm here to kind of tell everyone sitting in a RIA meeting every single month, seeking financial freedom with mostly single family house strategies, which will never get there. And instead, redirecting that energy towards multifamily. Today, I have on the show Patrick Duffy. Patrick, he's a young guy, he's like 27 years old, and he closed on a 69-unit deal in Memphis in mid-April without prior experience or his own money, right? Now, would you be interested in finding out more how he did that? Well, I bet you would. So I'm not going to spoil it for you guys how he did that. I'm just going to get right into the interview. Here is my interview with Patrick. Hey, Patrick, it's great to have you on the show today. Thanks for having me, Mike. Appreciate it. Happy to be here. Yeah. Tell us a little about yourself. Yeah. Just give a little background. Sure. I'm based in Southern California. I grew up here and went back East for college, graduated from Harvard in 2013 and came back to SoCal where I started my career as a uh, commercial real estate banker. So I was doing a lot of CMBS, fix and flip loans, single family rental loans to investors. And then just recently worked at a hedge fund that was buying non-performing mortgages until I put in my two weeks there in uh, July to start doing multifamily full-time. That's where I was for about a year. So grew up around real estate. My folks aren't in real estate, but my grandfather developed a property in LA in the 50s that my family has owned. So kind of grew up around multifamily and wanted to do it for a while. And, and so that's kind of a brief picture of me. Your family has a small building, you know, and at what point did you decide you wanted to get into real estate investing? I mean, was that something that when you were first thinking real estate, what were you thinking? I kind of always had this picture in my mind that, you know, at some point when I have money to do so, I will go out and start purchasing multifamily or get into it that way. It was really when I was at a job prior to the fund I was with, you know, I was really pretty unhappy and I wanted to start bringing that process up and looking for ways to do it. And so I reached out to some people that I had lent to and started asking them about, you know, how did you get into investing? You know, what are ways that I can do it? What would you suggest I do kind of in a part-time basis? So I, I started looking at more as like a part-time activity that I would do until I was ready to basically retire and do it full-time. And that probably started really seriously in the beginning of 2016. Right. So you were already kind of, you're a pretty young guy, right? You're, how old are you? 27. Yeah. So, you know, you don't have like decades of W2 work behind you. You're, you've already started getting discontent with your job. You're looking for a way out. What strategy were you thinking to accomplish this? Single family? Did you think right immediately multifamily or what were you thinking at the time? I, for a very brief moment, I thought about flipping just because I was lending to flippers. So I thought of, you know, there's clearly deals out there, but, you know, the more and more I thought about it and just, 
kind of growing up with multifamily. It's like, no, I want to do multi. The biggest block for me was obviously the capital. It's like, you need the capital to do that. And I felt like it might've been easier to start flipping, but honestly, I, I just kind of put that notion away and I just looked straight towards multi. So how to best do it? I started talking with some of those guys that I met with about how to maybe either partner or utilize some creative financing, like with the seller carryback and how to accomplish that. I started talking to some mortgage brokers that I had done business with on maybe some of the equity avenues that they had or or other creative financing methods that they would suggest. As I started talking to people out in the market and brokers, they really didn't take those approaches very seriously. It, It almost takes a very unique setup in order to get some of that kind of no money down structure in place. So really, you know, I started looking towards maybe partnering with someone on on a multifamily deal as the way to to get into it. Right. So you were thinking multifamily. Now you had really no prior experience before you even started thinking about this, right? Yeah, no, certainly not on the principal side. You know, I, I had lent against it and I was familiar with kind of the underwriting and, you know, what NOI and elements of that were and cap rates, et cetera, but certainly not on the principal side. I had no idea the level of I guess, due diligence and some of the things that were different from the lender side when you're a principal and dealing with investors and stuff like that. So, Yeah. So this is interesting, Patrick. You're talking to people, you're looking for a way out and here you are, your conclusion is multifamily, yet you have no experience and you don't have the capital. Your conclusion was that if you want to do multifamily, you had a partner. Was that your conclusion? That was the only way you can get started? Yeah, pretty much. And one of the guys that I talked to early on, I basically said, look, here's my goal. You know, I want to get 100 units under my belt by December 2018. And he first off, he said, well, you can do that. And that was like a big aha moment, like right there. Just, I mean, looking two years out, it's like, wow, I could have 100 units in two years. Then he said, you know, one thing that might work is, you know, I have this group of investors. If you bring me a deal kind of within this box, maybe we can partner. That's what kind of opened the doors of like, okay, partnership appears to be the way to do it. Interesting. All right. So you set out. Now you said, okay, great. I'm partnering with this guy. I, don't, I have no prospect of him bringing the capital yet. For some reason, here you are taking action. What did you do next? I really tried to get clarity from him on how he analyzed deals. So for my own kind of education and, you know, kind of geeked out a little bit on LoopNet, you know, for a long time I had, like I I was familiar with LoopNet and, you know, I'd go to it and look what cap rates were in certain markets and units and wow, what's available there, you know, just based on what I had seen with my folks property, just kind of comparing LA to an apartment building in Texas. It was really interesting to see. So I started getting packages from brokers, started just, you know, getting documents from LoopNet on properties and and underwriting them and getting feedback from that potential partner. So I really tried to get clarity from him as to what he was looking at in underwriting and what his box was. And that's how I kind of started seeing it through the eyes of a principal. Gotcha. All right. Now, eventually you found Memphis and you found the 69 units. Talk about how that kind of went down. I was originally uh, attracted to Memphis just primarily because I, I saw a lot of single family investors doing rental deals there. And I was just curious what multifamily looked like there. And I, you know, cap rates look great, unit sizes look good, and prices look good. I reached out to that same guy that I had talked to when I initially started kind of my journey on this. And he said, well, you know, stay away. You know, I've heard really horror stories about Memphis. You know, you really don't really want to deal there. And as I started talking to more brokers in the market, I got a more nuanced view of where you want to be in that submarket relative to others, just like any other market. There are good and bad neighborhoods. And so you have to take a more localized approach. And so that's how I decided on it. And as I've learned more about the market, you know, I found more things to be excited about, just like 
people we interact with learn more about their submarket that they like and and that's where they choose to specialize so Yep, exactly. So you said, hey, Memphis is actually an okay market. You started looking deals. How'd you come across the 69 unit? I had um, you know, started looking at deals, started talking to some brokers that were the more active ones on LoopNet. And, and since then, I've discovered other ones that I'm in more contact with now. But this deal was not listed by a broker that I knew, but I had seen it you know, probably in late 2016, around probably November or so or October. At that point, I really wasn't keen to the deal desk process or maybe how to officially submit it. So I kind of... Other things were going on. So I just kind of sat on the sidelines. But then around late December, I saw that it was still on LoopNet. So I was like, you know, what the heck? I felt better about the SDA. I underwrote What's the SDA, Patrick? The syndicated deal analyzer through your program, which is the way I got connected with you, you know, looking for a model to actually filter these deals in through and, and really, you know, I'll speak to the content later. I ran it through the model and I submitted it to your forum for feedback and it worked according to the feedback that I got. So with that, I applaud this broker because I had a call with him, I think on New Year's Eve to discuss this deal. And we had about a 30 minute long call where I just went through all the questions that I felt I could ask at that point, got it under LOI and we'll speak to that. But it kind of just took off from there. I, I thought the deal went away, it came back and and I acted on it. So you acted on it and what belief? You're moving forward as if you have, you know, a million dollars behind you. Right. Uh, I think at this point, I frankly I didn't even know this deal existed at the time. Why did you move forward with any of this? I frankly felt like I had nothing to lose. And I basically I had seen the criteria that were published on your site for partnering. And I was excited by that. And I was like, okay, let me see if I can find a deal that meets this box. And it wasn't in one of your published markets, but I felt like I had a story to tell. It seemed to meet the criteria and I got that feedback from the forum. And I figured, you know, what the heck do I have to lose? I'm just going to go forward with this to the best extent I can, try to partner with you. And and if it doesn't work out, then, you know, I, I will have learned something in the process. So... So you proceeded to go ahead and basically get a letter of intent signed. So by the time this deal cut to me, you had already signed the letter of intent. Tell me a little bit about how that went down. How were you able to do that? It was kind of just from that, you know, almost act as if or fake it till you make it type approach. I never lied to the broker and I, I would never advocate lying to the broker. It didn't even come up about, you know, how much, you know, proof of funds do you have, stuff like that. It just never even came up. It was just, you know, I have a partner, this appears to me as criteria. And here's an LOI reflecting those terms. And I did it in a way that I would never do now. You know, it's, it's a lot more nuanced now and how we craft an LOI. But basically what I did is with my limited understanding is, and it happened to work out, so it's all good. But I did the asking price net of the repairs and the deal still worked. Now, obviously you would come to your, you know, purchase price or proposed purchase price based on where it would work for your returns. But it just so happened to work in that case. And, and I felt like it would put me in the most competitive position. So at this point now, you have a letter of intent. At this point, you had submitted it to the DealMakers Mastermind. There's a program called DealMakers Mastermind where you can upload your syndicated deal analyzer, which is our analysis spreadsheet, and get feedback from a live person. That kind of got a thumbs up on that. You then submitted it to the deal desk, which then resulted in a call with me at the time. And the deal looked good. I was very impressed with not only the numbers, but the research you had done behind the numbers. So when you say, hey, the rents are you know, below by $50, you had already spoken with a property manager. 
when you said, hey, it's going to require whatever, $1,500 per unit, you had already talked to their property manager. You had made some phone calls at this point. You had researched this deal. The numbers weren't just kind of made up. And that impressed me with that. So you had done a lot of legwork uh, up front. And so at that point, we kind of said, hey, this really looks good. It meets our criteria. I was uh, frankly a little surprised at the kind of returns. I had, was not looking at Memphis. It was a new thing for me at the time. Now we know a lot about Memphis. I think you have to be a little open sometimes. Sometimes you can have criteria that are a bit narrow, and, and including myself. It was not one of my published geographies, so it was a little bit of a learning curve for me as well. But once we said, hey, this looks good, let's do this together, what happened next? After that, it, it was really kind of off to the races. So we spent about a week or two kind of in getting a contract from the seller and posing our changes to that contract. And, and one thing I'd say is that a lot of our time working together, a lot of it was filled with finding our team members because even though I had done some research into the market and I had talked with some people, I really hadn't put together a bench of team members, like a property manager, a lawyer, and people that I could just pull from the bench when I was ready to go. It, we kind of embedded those folks along the way. During that initial phase, You know, I reached out to a couple of attorneys to review the contract. They reviewed it and got back to me with comments. We got it under contract with the seller. I went through the process of wiring the EMD in. And then we started collecting due diligence documents from the seller which then we began a whole separate process of the actual financial due diligence. So Yeah, that's right. I mean, you had really taken a lot of initiative. You kind of made it easy for me. You just kind of did stuff. You started making phone calls all the time before we know we were sending the contract to an attorney and he was doing it. And I was like, wow, it's amazing. You were just you just kind of really made it made it easy. You also created the investor package, right? We have the the format for the investor package that flows out of the syndicated deal analyzer. And so that made it easy for me. And once we went into due diligence. We went through the documentation. We also then visited in person. We met uh, for the first time in, in Memphis, and we actually looked at the property. That was it all looked good. It was surprisingly good. And at that point, you know, it was time to raise money. So I took your sample deal package. I kind of sent it out to my investors, and you know, like I teach, kind of you know, keeping these guys warm and keeping in touch with them, keeping them posted. And now they see a deal that looks substantially like maybe what I had talked to them before, and maybe they have some final details were like, yes, this looks good. We got the financial commitments. We hired the SEC attorney. We started the appraisal process. And so you were very heavily involved during due diligence, obviously, but also kind of dealing with the paperwork and the investors. Talk briefly about that experience. Working with the investors specifically, it was interesting because clearly they were your contacts and you had a pretty big network of investors that were eager for deals that fit a criteria that mine seemed to hit and mine seemed to be kind of at the upper echelon of return-wise. So they were eager to get involved. And so you went through, obviously, the discussions with them. We had a couple calls to address some investors' questions about some deal specifics in the market. So we went through that. And then when it came to actually kind of getting them to sign on the dotted line. At that point, we had already kind of been in touch with our SEC attorney, Steve Rinaldi. He had drafted the subscription agreement, the private placement memorandum, the operating agreement. At that point, it was really a matter of getting the investor's signature, which I use DocuSign for, which I would highly recommend for anyone listening to the call DocuSign. I use it every day. It's a great utility and just enables you to get a lot of people's signatures and track that coming in. And you'll definitely need it during deal closing. Yeah. So, and then we finally got this thing to closing. We got the loan approved and done at record time. We got the investors to wire their funds. And now we're at closing. Did you pay yourself an acquisition fee? 
uh, at closing. Yes. Talk a little bit about that. And yeah, and, yeah, got an acquisition fee of about twenty three grand at closing, which was awesome. Plus, was reimbursed for all of my expenses incurred during due diligence because I was coming out of pocket, you know, for the EMD, the property inspector, attorney fees, etc., loan commitment fee. So all of that plus. The 23 grand in acquisition fee was good. And the way that we do it, obviously, in your organization is for deals of a certain size, we do about three points for an acquisition fee. And then depending on the split of how work is done, you'll get a portion of that three points. I'll get a portion of that three points. And maybe another guarantor that steps in will get a portion. So my portion ended up being about 23 grand. So and and that was great. I mean, it was it was awesome to kind of cap off that closing in record time and, and get that at closing. It was awesome. It was very fun. Yeah, that's amazing. So essentially, you have none of your own money in the deal and you got paid 23000 at closing. That's kind of neat. Now, one thing we forgot to mention is through the deal desk process, we work out a joint venture agreement, we get that signed and then we move move forward with that. So we kind of get agreement on everything kind of uh, upfront and that makes it easy as we move down towards closing and we work that into the operating agreement. So we finally close on the 69 unit and it's amazing to me, Patrick, that you know, that you simply kept moving forward with this stuff, simply in the belief that there was someone at the other end that would partner with you if you found this deal. And that's why we created the DealMakers Mastermind and the deal desk process exactly for that. There's a lot of belief that goes on. If you know, or someone knows, hey, if I just find the deal, Michael will find the money behind it. It seemed to me that was very empowering to you. Since then, we have now almost a dozen deals now that are submitted to the deal desk because I think that belief is so powerful and it compels people to action. Can you talk a little bit more about what impact this first deal has had on you, your comfort zone, your outlook, anything like that? It's been huge. Honestly, before I, I went through this process, there's only so much that can be taught as to what maybe to expect or how the process goes, but you really have to live it in order to internalize it and feel comfortable and have that kind of intuitive sense of like how to do this now. And after doing it once... I now really feel like I can do it again and again and again, and it's just going to get easier. And of course, you learn new things with each deal, but it's had an immense impact on my life because not only from the experience aspect showed me it was possible, but it showed me you know, how deals can get done in a partnership aspect and really work for all parties and how it can allow you to scale much quicker than you would individually for just waiting for the amount of money to come in for a down payment on a property. So, I mean, it, it was huge from that aspect, but also moving forward, you know, one thing that always kind of stuck in my mind and listening to your podcast before I did my first deal was, you know, the first one is the hardest. It gets easier after the first one. And I, I would really, you know, advocate for anyone listening that that's absolutely true because not only do you feel more comfortable from the experience standpoint, but it kind of creates an inertia because everyone you talk to now in the market knows that you've done your first deal. So they take you more seriously. And so that coupled with knowing how to proceed in a deal now, it just brings down those barriers that are inherent with anyone's first deal. It, it just makes it a lot easier. Yeah, so it's like this giant domino, right? It's really hard to push that first domino over. It takes a hard time, takes a lot of effort. And once it falls, everything becomes easier. Now, you haven't done your second deal yet, but you're doing, you're literally, because you're now part of the deal desk process and you're also doing your own, I mean, literally two weeks later, just for, for everyone, two weeks later, you had 196 unit under contract. Right. So you have not done your second deal yet, but you're going to do literally hundreds of deals in the next 12 months, like hundreds of units. I mean, a hundred is like, is little, right? Would you agree that doing a hundred units in the next 12 months completely is like on the small side? Easy. Yeah. I mean, right now, 
you know, we have about 300 units under contract that have a very high likelihood of closing. And that 196 may come back. There's another couple big deals that we're chasing right now. So, I mean, honestly, I mean, I'd be surprised if we don't hit a thousand in the next 12 months. I agree. It speaks to that expanding comfort zone, right? You were comfort zone was immediately at 69. I think you felt you maybe a little anxious in the beginning, but then as we went through the process, I saw your comfort zone just kind of expand rapidly through that 69. I was surprised that you took a swing at the 196 unit on the one hand, but on the other hand, it doesn't surprise me at all because of that momentum of that first deal. Right. And, and one thing I would just add is that when I think about deals now, I mean, certainly there's a point at which the size kind of, you take a step back and say, whoa, you know, this is a big deal, but size right now, isn't too, too much of a factor. I mean, there, there's certain deals that I'm not going to pursue just because of the class. And I know the returns probably won't make sense. But, you know, anything under 500 or 400, you know, barring any, you know, barriers to capital raising, it's just all about process for me right now. As soon as I got comfortable with the process of how to get a deal under LOI, get it under contract, get it to closing, work through the lender process, it doesn't really matter you know, N number of units. It's just about the process and and being comfortable with that. That's right. And the reason we try to go for smaller deals is because we're concerned about the equity. And my value proposition is don't worry about that, right? Let me worry about that. You worry about finding a deal, you underwrite it right, you pre-negotiate it right, and you're going to get all the tools that you need for that. The money is not the problem, right? You've seen that now. The deal is the problem. So if you can find a great deal and negotiate it and basically deliver it on a kind of a silver platter, then the money will follow. Right. Right. And, and I, I truly believe that now because of not only the end product that we're delivering to investors. I mean, it's a wonderful alternative to you know what they're getting in their 401k or their IRA. It's fantastic. So I think there's a great story to tell around that. So it's just all about the deal in that, in that standpoint. Yeah. You've done a great job with this, Patrick. Really amazed to see your rapid growth over the last just a few months. You know, Any parting advice to anyone who kind of wants to do what you want to do. You want to do your first deal. Of course, you want to quit your job, which you now have. Any advice to someone who wants to be in your position? I would very much advocate looking into the deal desk process and, and DealMaker Mastermind because it's a really phenomenal tool. I don't know of another avenue like it that would enable someone just kind of getting into multifamily to have access to the type of educational content and the resources in order to do your first deal. I would absolutely look at that, number one, if you're curious. And number two, if you've decided to take that step, just be prepared that it's going to take a lot of work. It's not going to be easy. And And even for someone that had some experience on the lending side, I still had to work my tail off, you know, and it's going to take that level of commitment and work. But if you really want to do multifamily and want to own investment real estate, then it's so worth it. I can't speak to that enough in terms of how worth it the work was all the way until closing to get it done. It's just going to take a lot of work and there's no two ways about it. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing your experience, Patrick. Really proud of you. If people want to get a hold of you, how? what's the best way for people to do that? Preferably uh, through email. And my email is pduffy, the number three, the number two at gmail.com. If you shoot me an email, I'd be happy to get on a call and uh, we can correspond through there. Awesome, man. Well, I'm really excited to see what you're going to do next. So thanks again for sharing today. All right. Thanks, Mike. It's an interesting thing about belief. Patrick believed that I would simply raise the money for his deal And so believing that, he just went out and took a giant swing at a 69-unit building and he got it under LOI. I think it's amazing. Since I've rolled this program out earlier in the year, the response has been massive and that really has empowered 
people, students to go out and find deals with the knowledge that we would go and raise the equity. We have a combined 2,000 units right now that are submitted at the deal desk and it's fantastic. It's really given me another way to help you do your first deal by simply taking the money thing off the table. Yes, I'd rather you learn to raise money. In fact, if you participate in my course or my coaching, you're going to learn how to do that. Okay. But there's no question that we can't accelerate the process if I say, look, I'll raise a million dollars. We need to do that deal. And you're like, that's great. Now I can focus on going after bigger deals. And I just have to be educated enough to and credible enough to be able to make offers and be taken seriously, all of which you learn in the course. Okay. So it's been incredibly powerful and it's all enabled through this deal desk submission process. If you'd like to find out more about how that works and what it takes to qualify for that, it's at themichaelblank.com forward slash partner is the page that is michaelblank.com forward slash partner. If you're interested in that, it does require an investment in the course and an ongoing subscription program, but it is, in my knowledge, unique, one of its kind in the world, and certainly by far the most affordable. My goal is to give you the minimum tools that you need to make offers with confidence so that you bring high quality deals to the deal desk so we can do deals together. And ultimately, so that you can do your first deal and you can replace your income in two to three years. So that's kind of my goal behind that. Anyway, so it's michaelblank.com forward slash partner is more information about that. And speaking of experiencing your first deal, I have my first in-person live event in October. It's in Washington, D.C. And if you decide to move forward with the online program, you qualify for this workshop. It's an advanced workshop where we're going to experience doing a first deal together all the way from finding it, analyzing it, getting under contract, doing due diligence, everything to hopefully closing. There'll be some twists and turns. You will work in small groups and it'll be almost like the real thing. And your comfort zone in your mind will be massively expanded. That's the goal of the financial summit in October. So check that out at themichaelblank.com forward slash event is that information. All right. Awesome. So we're going to wrap it up here. If you love the show, give me a holler on iTunes. I love to see your reviews there. A couple that have done it recently is Todd Dexheimer. Appreciate that, Todd. Alina went on there and Dana Dunford. Uh, appreciate you guys leaving a review on there. So if you haven't done so already, jump on over there and give me a holler and I'll shout you out next episode. Speaking of which, you guys take care. I'll catch you on that next episode. Thanks for listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Block. For more free podcasts, articles, and videos, go to themichaelblanc.com. There, you can also download the free ebook, The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. Till next time.